Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. such a cool show today. Welcome to a special edition of the Indie Cafe on the Red Velvet Media Network. 
And um, I am here to tell you that we're going to be doing a really cool show called um, on the exhibit Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die at the Museum of Arts and Design in New York City. And uh, today we are joined by Chris Scotes, and he's the director of the Museum of Arts and Design, and Andrew Kavine, who's the curator of this fantastic exhibit that has been going on since April. It's going to go on through August 18th, and we are going to be talking to them as as well as my co-host, Spencer Drake, who has um, a piece in this 400-piece exhibit, and we're going to bring everybody in on this real quick. Let me bring everyone, unmute everyone, and we are going to go for it. There you guys go. Welcome to the show. That, what a great song to open up with. I love that song. Yes. Well, I'm glad are you guys of you like that. Yeah, yep, yeah, I'm here. Holly, this is Andrew. I first <laughs> want to clarify that I'm not the curator, that it actually was curated uh, by Andrew Blauvelt, who's the director of the Cranberg Art, Art Museum. Oh, gosh. In, okay. Out in, Thank in you Detroit, for telling Missouri. me that. But but I provided the yeah. stuff, but he provided the inspiration. Right. And the vision. Oh, well, great inspiration. Um, <laughs> it's a fantastic exhibit from what I've been told. And thank you for letting me know about that. Um, I got different information, but that's all good. So we are really happy that you are all here today, including my co-host, Spencer, Um and uh, we are really excited about this. And I also want to thank Wendy for coordinating this uh, show with uh, you guys because this is really important. We really wanted to talk about this because it's a fantastic visual experience to a lot of people. And I love the name, Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die. Um, why don't we start out, Spence, what do you think? Um, let's have Chris and Andrew both talk about a concept of the show and um, yeah, you know idea. how Andrew um, got all the different pieces that are in the show and uh, Chris's idea behind it. So why don't both of you, you know, tell us a little bit about the exhibit and uh, again, it's the Museum of Arts and Design. So um, why don't we just go from there and have you talk about it and then we'll have lots of questions. I know there's a lot of really great content in this show. So um, let's uh, talk a little bit about the idea behind it. Well, as director, of the, uh, well, as yeah. director of the Museum of Arts and Design, um, I was aware mm-hmm. of this exhibition was being curated, as Andrew said, by Andrew Blavelt, who is the museum director mm-hmm. of the Cranbrook Academy of Art, which is where I was the director Fantastic. for a, n- a number of years of the Academy. And so when Andrew, oh, wow. uh, when Andrew was talking about the exhibition uh, being held at Cranbrook, mm-hmm. I thought this is a tremendously important exhibition as it's the first of its kind to really look at the design of punk uh, from 76 to 86. So then when I became mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years later the director of the Museum of Arts and Design, I thought it would be a very important exhibition uh, to bring to oh, the yeah. for all the reasons that we know that both punk is uh, central to the New York music scene, uh, but also to London, too. Uh, and it falls mm-hmm. on the back of a number of projects that I have curated and organized around ideas around music and sound. Um, and so it kind of follows a, an interesting trajectory of my own interest 
in where we need to uh, pivot the museum uh, and work with the museum on different kinds of design-related projects. Uh, so in the past, I've worked with Brian Eno and Lou Reed and Andy Watson, who is the lighting designer for Radiohead. Mm -hmm. I've also worked with Martin Ware from Heaven 17. So this seemed like an, appro an appropriate exhibition in part because uh, mm -hmm. of the content, uh, because of the politics, because of its lo our location, because of the mm -hmm. amazing show that Andrew Blava curated, and it's all from Andrew Curveen's collection, and it's very comprehensive. Uh, the show is mm -hmm. important in that it's designed thematically, not chronologically. So I think mm -hmm. it's important to realize and understand this is an exhibition about design, although obviously it's about the punk scene from the, that 10-year Period. So the show is curated uh, such that it looks at ideas of appropriation and pastiche and collage and the way that punk was influenced by both horror films and comics and includes oh, yeah. all, all of the great designers from the period, including obviously Jamie Reed, who was important during the development of, of the Sex Pistols, and you got Barney Bubbles, who worked with Stiff Records, uh, Peter Saville, who worked with obviously Joy Division and New Order. You got Neville Brody, Malcolm Garrett, Terry Jones, Vaughn Oliver, Winston Smith, blah blah. The list. Endless. Table Calvin. I mean, the list. <laughs> the list includes both really, really important designers from both the UK and the US. So, for me as the director mm -hmm. of the museum, there were obviously beyond my love of an interest in music. I think it's actually an important design exhibition with all of the big names and, and lesser names for that matter too because the show includes zines from designers we don't even know. Oh yeah, and, and, and also a number of the designs of the posters, especially I would say a lot of the British posters were done and flyers mm -hmm. were done by the fans themselves. Right. Um, right. And, and I think that's great. So it's really, you know, that they, they were responsible for their look, their visual look as well as their sound. Um, and I think right. it's important mm -hmm. to know, even in the promotion of the show here in New York, we got, I thought it was important that we worked with some of the designers that are in the exhibition. And so we got Malcolm Garrett, who was very, very important in working with the bus stops. Absolutely. And, mm -hmm. and magazine. And magazine. And we got Peter Saville. So this beautiful title, Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, which is taken after the the shop that was on the King's Road, which was one of Vivian. Yeah, West so too, first. Yeah, Too Fast Live is also uh, the title of, of my book, which I hope will be coming out next year. And it oh, was, wow. I, I was Ooh, that's fun. Too Fast yeah. Live, Too Young to Die was one of the earliest incarnations of what became Seditionaries and then World's End. Right. I think it was around 1972. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a, it's just, when I was when I was coming up with titles to show my first publisher, he latched onto that. He just thought it was such a dynamic title. And the title is so great and mm -hmm. kind of long that we asked uh, it, Malcolm. It, no, it's a great title. So great Malcolm title. Took, so Malcolm took one half the title, um, and Peter uh -huh. took the other half, and they designed it in such a way as to echo the work they had previously done both with the Buzzcocks uh, in Malcolm's uh, respect and then Peter Saville with Joy Division. So Every aspect of the exhibition is such, has been organized and curated in such a way as to include both its history, current, and past. I, wanna, I wanted mm -hmm. to come in on this because my first book I ever did was called Designing for Music. I profiled Malcolm Garrett, Peter Seville, um, and Vaughn Oliver, and a number of other great uh, music designers. At that time, they were just becoming recognized, you know, in 1992. 
and uh, it was, and I talked to Chip uh, Chip Kidd at the event about that, and uh, all agreed about that. They were, uh, they were very dynamic designers, Malcolm and Seville. They set a lot of design trends at that time with their covers and their graphics, which no other designers did. You know. Well, I think it's important mm -hmm. to realize for all the visitors coming to the museum, and Andrew is obviously very eloquent when he talks about this too. Is this is all pre-computer. So, uh, wow, yeah. Many oh, wow, do. that's major. That's, <laughs> that's major good. to know. No, 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 yeah, seriously. The, the most high-tech device was a letter set, basically. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's just pure analog. So for those listening in who are oh. maybe slight, slightly younger, there was a world before computers and Photoshop. And so, I love the real so, deal. So yeah. the whole idea about being DIY, literally, do-it-yourself, was literally mm -hmm. based on that fact that you cut out letters for magazines, potentially, like the ransom note style that Jamie Reed used for the sex. Create stencils, you know, yes. spray paint. Mm, right. Handwritten uh, typography. The Xerox machine, obviously, was a big, uh, important um, technical advancement back in the day. And so if you look, at some of, you look at some of the posters that incorporate. Yeah, well, uh, the, 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 a lot, most of the flyers were Xerox and also the, the early fanzines. Um, particularly in Britain, were all Xerox. So Sniff and Glue, which started, I think, in the summer of 1976, and it just literally ran for a year. But, you know, they would just go to the local Xerox shop, or if they had a friend who worked in an office, you know, after hours, they'd sneak in and, you know, bash out. Oh, how funny. Uh, so there's something I mean, great. When, oh, I, when I started great. designing, I, I worked, I did a lot of design for, you know, Sire Records, you know, so... I worked with uh, uh, great groups like, I, you know, for instance, the Ramones, Talking Heads, uh, uh, the Pretenders, whatever. And 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 the way the graphics were when I worked was the same thing as they were working. So I would be using Xeroxes. I'd be uh, high contrast, you know, stats, you know, uh -huh. that thing. Exactly. Uh, right. So I, yeah. <laughs> so I understand when I saw the posters. I said, wow, you know, this is really good, especially Jamie Reed. Uh, Jamie Reed, to me, was the cutout, put-together thing, and he was really different, you know what I mean, to me? And he had a really raw look. But all the posters are amazing. Some are so intricate and beautiful. And what we're talking about is very interesting uh, that you brought up about traditional because it was like hypnosis worked that way with their album covers. It was almost like their work seemed like it was computer, but they worked in the dark room. And this is the same thing. These graphics are literally put together traditionally, right? And they're beautiful. And you can't, some of them, you think they were done they by Photoshop, right? Yeah, you yeah, think and, they were done yeah. No, definitely. And Spencer is actually an example. So Andrew included some, um, some 45s and, and record sleeves usually around some of the, the text boxes, introducing the different themes. And one of the, the most iconic is this XTC record sleeve for Go2, which is all, which mm -hmm. is really, it's, it's, uh, it's a brilliant record sleeve. I mean, you have to see it to fully appreciate it. And it was done by hypnosis, so. So I yeah. think, I think oh, yeah, no. the other fun thing about this, if you think about what happened uh -huh. prior to 1977 and all the album covers that were made, even with like Roger Dean with Yes!, um, there was a very yeah. there was a very different sense about what the music was and where you were going while you were listening to the music because oftentimes those albums had songs that lasted a whole complete side whether it was Pink Floyd or Yes or Genesis or something mm -hmm. like that and then you get the DIY with punk which is literally a song in a minute two minutes 
And so I think the mm-hmm. graphics are, in, in essence, in correlation to the music. Yeah, yeah. True. Fast, true. cut up, dirty. Uh, yeah, I actually, high, high I actually think, if, if I recall correctly, the Get Happy, uh, so Elvis Costello and the Attractions there, fourth album, Get Happy, I think it had 20 songs in 40 minutes, yeah. <laughs> basically. <laughs> wow. In, in the front of the, uh, of the record sleeve, so. That's yeah, everything funny. Everything's very to the point. Yeah. Uh, and no indulgence mm-hmm. whatsoever sonically. No major romantic l- lyrics. No guitar. Uh, oh, you guys are so funny. I, I um, bring up what we should do I, real quickly, sorry. Spencer, hold on one moment. I yeah, want to say real oh, quickly sorry, before yeah. we go any further, if you tuned in late, the show will be available on iTunes afterwards. And uh, if you'd like to call in, they would love to talk to people, 347-677-1036. And also, what I wanted to um, say also really quickly was um, about the exhibit itself. Do we have a website we can give out? It's the show. The show runs through. Let's give that out. Um, well, the show runs through August 18th at the Museum mm-hmm. of Arts and Design on Two Columbus Circle in New York, and you can go to our website. That's madmuseum.org. This is Wendy. Hi, everyone. Okay, hi, hi, Wendy. Okay, yeah, okay, perfect. So this way people can actually look at it as we're talking about it. Okay, cool. So I just had to I had to put that in there really quickly because um, for people that are tuning in later want to listen to this afterwards, it will be available, like I said, afterwards on Red Velvet Media and also on iTunes as a podcast. So um, let's carry on. Um I know yeah, you mentioned one thing I want to yeah. say. Yeah, I want to say real quick. You mentioned Roger Dean. I think that was Chris, right? You mentioned yeah. Roger Dean. Yeah. We love Roger. Roger's going to been on our show, and he's going to be back on. Roger's great, very big in the prog movement, which um, I right. was very big in that as well. So definitely love Roger, have a lot of respect for Roger. So that's cool that you mentioned Roger Dean. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So I'm sorry, Spencer, I didn't mean to cut you off. What were oh, you no, it's say? okay. It's okay. No, you brought up a very good point. Um, I wanted to add a couple of things. First of all, I wanted to mention to you gentlemen, I don't know if you know that, when I worked on Road to Ruin, uh, the poster, uh, the original album cover I worked on also, but you, it might be a good tidbit I'm giving you. John Holmstrom, who did the artwork, came in with about 20 overlays of plastic with the, uh, with the artwork. Talk about traditional, right, with register wow. marks. And it was registered that way. And nobody knows the story. It's great. And, and, that, and that was what you call a real traditional poster that's in the show. But that's a good story because the album cover art that John brought in was done very traditionally, but with about 20 overlays of plastic. <laughs> and it was printed. But I wanted to ask you something. The, the show setup was very well done. In other words, you know what I mean? Setting up a show is not that easy. Uh, my partner and I have, have curated shows, and it's like the way you laid out the show is very beautiful. W- was there anybody in charge of that? Uh, what poster goes with what poster? You know what I'm saying? I think that Andrew Blava, who's the curator of the show, who is actually a design, a curator of design and architecture, mm-hmm. and also museum director, um, who's well who's well known within the design field, probably more academically than anything Fantastic. else. Fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Worked I worked with Andrew Cravain, and basically mm-hmm. it, it is the art of curating, which is sometimes g- gets um, 
it's not necessarily focused on in terms of when people come to shows, but there is a beautiful sense. As I said, the show is curated in terms of its themes and not chronologically. And so if you pay attention and you do look, there are certain pieces that make, um, in, in combination with, with each other, there are references that make very much poetic, if not literal, sense. Mm-hmm. I, I would totally agree, and I would say. Oh that, yeah. Uh, I mean, Andrew, he, he uh, he's definitely one of the best graphic design curators out there. I think that really yeah. in this country, and and he um, basically. We, this whole process goes back over two years, and um, he and his uh, his assistant, Steffi Duarte, came out two times to see my collection here. Um, I have storage in the Bronx, New Jersey, in, in my apartment, which is a, a fire hazard. Oh, and, wow. Um, <laughs> and, um, he, he did like a first. He, he reconnoitered to make sure I, w- I was for real, and he could validate that. And then he came back um, a year later, and we spent three days going through the collection. He ended up taking uh, the collection's around three thousand pieces. I think he took over sixteen hundred pieces back. And and wow. because Cranbrook has such a huge facility, he managed. I think he could literally lay out on one of the floors in the the sub basement the posters and just sort of. Conceptualize. He could lay them out, and then and then it, oh, he, wow. he had his sort of revelations, um, and uh, that was really all of him. And then, um, you know, and, and actually, I only saw the show at the opening. I, I didn't come for any kind of to, to see it being put up. So, like, I think the show. If you again, if one pays close attention, there are amazing stories that are being told within each section. Mm-hmm. Particularly when you get to the yeah. Episode to the agitprop politics section. Yeah. I have uh-huh. always said that in looking at the show, there is there could be a whole other exhibition based around the Rock wow. Against Racism or Anti-Nazi League because that story in itself, I think, is extremely important that actually often goes unnoticed um, when people talk about the beginning of Rock Against Racism because it did start with a... A, a basically a drunken rant by Eric Clapton on a stage in London or in Birmingham, I should say, in England in, the, in 1976-77 when, while playing Who Shot the Sheriff, uh, basically said that all all blacks should leave the country. And oh oftentimes quoting Enoch Powell, the very right-wing uh, conservative MP, who in 1956 uh, gave a very controversial speech called The Rivers of Blood. And so Eric Clapton, that wow. Eric, this, mm-hmm. if you, you dig, you can read about this in some books, um, but he mm-hmm. single-handedly, because there were three gentlemen in the audience that night who single-handedly started a petition in the New Musical Express that spawned Rock Against Racism based on that evening, which then turned into oh, wow. the Anti-Nazi wow. League, the Two-Tone Movement, and so on and so forth, which actually ended up with the Nelson Mandela Free Concert um, oh, several fantastic. years later. That story, yeah. that's there's amazing. a whole book. There is a whole book now, actually, but there's a whole Really? History. Yeah. And, and the irony is painful, because where would Eric Clapton without black music? Well, and the, the, I think the further irony is yeah, when... Yeah, I'm going to have to ask him about that. I, I want to know yeah. more about that night. Yeah. Do you know Eric Clapton? Um, yes. I, I want to know more about that because we've never talked about that. Never. Well, let me, let, well now, now the cat's out of the bag. I should give you some more because <laughs> there was a uh, 
There uh, by the way, Chris is in a witness protection program now. Well, the reason I know this is because I was doing research on a book about the history of politics and music. Yeah. And, and uh, right. there are a number of books called When the Music is Over. Wow. And uh-huh. a, a number of others actually document this well. Um, and I was about to say, yes, yeah, so when Enoch Powell died, which was probably, I, maybe I'm getting my dates a little wrong here, probably mid- Mid-70s, mid-70s. No, 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 much later. Oh, really? Yeah. Eric Clapton was interviewed in Mojo, uh, featured in a Mojo article, in Mojo mm-hmm. magazine, and said, and the mm-hmm. opening line of the article was, do you still believe what you said in 1977 about Enoch Powell? And he said, yes, look what I've done for black music. Wow. Wow. That wow. story, I tried to tell that story via a book and a film, and it was never mm-hmm. funny. Really? Wow. So, I hope you wanted to touch it. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting Yeah, thing well, you know public. what? That's because people are afraid of the truth, and people are afraid of going outside the box or outside the norm or even embracing anything different, which is what this show is really about difference. This is about a culture. This is about a lifestyle, this this show. And, you know, I can see people are just afraid sometimes, you know. And uh, I think that we're seeing that right now a lot in, I, I don't even want to go there really completely, but a lot in the world right now with our um, current administration and uh, how everything's going. Um, I think we need, we need to embrace... Um, a little bit more of a peaceful resolution rather than um, trying to create, you know, a havoc and trying to not letting people's culture really be part of what we really are all about. We're all, we all, all are one. So, you know, I'd like to to, uh, bring up something. Uh, You have with the show a multimedia presentation, Please Kill Me, that was, Compiled by Brendan Toller, mm. who did the Danny Says movie. Uh, could you tell us about that, Chris, that goes on with the show? Yeah. yeah. It was, um, well, when I moved to New York and I was mentioning to somebody about doing the exhibition. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I'll, let me back up. That's not, let me give you the whole story. So when I was in Detroit at Cranbrook, <laughs> and um, somebody emailed me from New York and said they were really interested in the exhibition, and uh-huh. they, knew, uh-huh. they knew Gillian McCain and Legs McNeil. And they may indeed come out for the opening. I wrote the, the gentleman back and said, fantastic, let me know. And then never heard from him. And then my first or second weekend after I moved to New York last summer, I was at an event in the Hamptons, of all places. And this gentleman <laughs> came up to me. I was, intro- I was introduced to him. And he immediately put his hand in a bag and pulled out the book, Please Kill Me. And it was signed, oh, by wow. Jillian, signed by Jillian and Legs. And he said, we, in it, we emailed each other a year or so ago about the exhibition. And, it was, and he had tracked me down. And, he's, and they said that uh, Jillian and Legs would be very <laughs> interested in collaborating in some form on the project. And I said, I'd love to meet oh, them. Oh, that's great. And why don't they curate a series of panels or talks while the show is up? And... That's how it came about, and then during that conversation, 
they talked about this documentary or this slideshow uh, radio show that they had done on PBS, and I said that we should make that mm-hmm. make that a part of the show. That's how that came about. Oh, absolutely! So just, just wow. Just to correct the record, Enoch Powell, died, Enoch Powell died in 98. Oh, wow. Yeah. Why oh. is it that evil people live a really long time? <laughs> but you know what's interesting about it? Uh, I want to bring up something. Uh, they really Chris, seem to, don't they? <laughs> but, uh, Chris, I want to bring up something on Andrew. The, the multimedia uh, presentation also, what's interesting about it, there are a lot of photographs shown that were never seen before, by the way, right? And right. interviews with, uh, you know, famous people in it, uh, Iggy Pop and Joey and Dee Dee Ramone and Debbie Harry and Jim Carroll, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's what makes that multimedia thing really great. No, I think that... Well, go ahead. No, I want to say that the other thing that's cool, and, and I, I'm sure you agree, Spencer, is, is uh, you know, a- Andrew, one of his ideas, and he did this back in Cranbrook, was to set up a couple turntables with, with boxes full of the most iconic punk records. So... People oh, could, yeah. could could put their headphones on and just do that. Yeah, well, really I cool. love the opening, that. The, op- the opening night, you had Johnny Lydon. I was there, and there were turntable there. There was like a turntable there, right? That's and, right. Um, I, I thought this was really cool. It was Dude. like everything integrated <laughs> into one show. You know, you had the turntable, and you have Johnny Lydon, and you have the the place. You know, uh, I thought that was really cool. You know. Yeah, yeah and actually, Holly, one of the things you may want to uh, alert your listeners to also is that um, John Lydon was interviewed extensively. Um, both by by uh, Jillian during the day. He spent the whole day here. He was the guest of honor. But also, um, he uh, I think it was Newsweek. He basically he acted like a docent for the exhibition for about 20 minutes, where he was walking around commenting right. on a number of the posters. Oh, that's funny. And that video is on YouTube. If you just like <laughs> funny, ty- if you just if you just type in like John Lydon, too fast to live. You'll probably uh-huh. get to that video. And um, wow. I mean, we Great. were so relieved because he's a very mercurial person, but he actually liked the show. And it's also interesting because he is sort of claiming kind of co-author credit on a number of the designs. Uh-huh. Yeah, I spoke to him about that. That's pretty cool. He really, he puts, he, really, he puts his fingerprint on that, uh, Chris. You know, I, I've spoke, mm-hmm. I spoke to him that, that, more, that day, and uh, it's very interesting, actually. You know. I have to say that uh, we, yeah. didn't, uh, we didn't quite know what to expect with John, but I have to say uh-huh. I was very honored to have him at the museum. He, he worked very hard throughout the day. He was very articulate. I think he's an amazing cultural commentator. Um, he obviously has a point of view, uh, which I yeah. respect, and um, he, told, he tells it like it is, and, um, but I think he connects the dots very beautifully. I was standing in front of him when he gave the Reuters interview, and I was actually kind of mesmerized for about 25 minutes um, wow. about how clear and articulate and on point he was, not just about the history of the late 70s in the U.K., um, but about the music and the artists and the industry. I thought it was a, I thought he was a delight to have um, throughout the oh, that's great. He gave, he gave two talks that were both quite animated and colorful and, mm-hmm. and uh, right on point, I think. Yeah, and, and for yeah, me, well, I, that's what, fantastic. What, what fascinated me about him was that he really, he really has a sense of the art. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know that. I mm-hmm. mean, he has this sense, which but, is very important. You know. Absolutely, Spencer. He has a really sharp eye, and if you actually, if you were to like take all the, the public image record sleeves and just lay them out on a table, you'd see. Right. He's really sophisticated. I almost think he has kind of. 
you know, well, first of all, I mean, Public Image is such a great post-punk band, and I think that his eye is as refined as Peter Savile's, really. I mean, I think, really? and, and I think oh, Peter's absolutely. amazing, too. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and actually, one of the posters in, in my collection is for uh, a single called Death Disco, which is based on a drawing oh, he wow. did as a kid, and I think he mentioned it in one of the interviews that he got kicked out of school because of that drawing. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But he was that's thrilled. That's funny. And it's one of my favorite you know, posters, Andrew, actually. Andrew, I have a couple questions for you, and I have one for Chris, too. Um, I first want to ask for you, Andrew, what got you interested in collecting posters, and what? where are you getting most of them? Are you going to shows? Are you getting them through people? Um, how did you? How did you start collecting? Well, I, I mean, I'm I, I definitely, I, I was actually, You're young. Uh, I was 16 when I started in 1977, and um, uh-huh. I used to, I used to go back, and I, so I grew up in Westchester, just north of the city, and um, so uh-huh. I did come into New York a few times with my friends to see New York punk bands, I was a huge fan of the Dead Boys and the Cramps, um, but, so, oh, boy. My, so my father's yeah. family was English, and I would go every summer to England for about a month or to two months. Mm-hmm. And my my first cousin John Corveen founded a shop called Boy in London, which after Sedition, yeah, I know it, kind of, kind okay. of the main punk boutique. So um, uh-huh. I spent most of the summer of '77 hanging out with him. And I never really related to the prog rock stuff. I was really like before punk. I loved the Who. That was like my main band. And mm-hmm. really not many other groups. And then I remember when I was hanging out in Boy, there were very few records back then. Like, like uh, 78 was really when all the vinyl started flooding forth from the English punk scene. And I remember listening mm-hmm. to like, so in Boy, they, they had one album. It was The Clash's first album. And at first I was listening to it, I'm going, this is totally noise. And by like the third day, I'm going, this is like the greatest record I've ever heard. You know, I just, I, I felt, it, it kind of clicked in my head. Um, so th- then I really fell in love with punk. And um, I've always been sort of a collector by nature. I collected other things before, and I, I love, like, vintage movie posters, for example. But back then, I mean, I basically, when I was in London, I could just go to the record shops. I could just ask people, and they'd oh, give absolutely. me posters. So I'd go to Rough Trade. I went to Stiff Records. Right. They had a shop. Um, so I hoovered up all Did this stuff. Did you meet people in the alley and get secret Pieces no, you. Cause, cause, cause no, n- nobody thought this was valuable. You know? He does that now. Yeah, I do that now. No, I know. <laughs> I'm just joking with you. I, 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 do, yeah, I, trade, I trade organs for posters. <laughs> You're a hardcore collector. You're yeah, a hardcore so, collector. So I, I had a core of, uh, you know, and then, then I went to university in England for a year in 1980-81, which uh-huh. was a gold, golden age of post-punk. So, and and in, uh-huh. in England, there's a vibrant touring circuit. So I went to a place called the University mm-hmm. of East Anglia in Norwich, and literally mm-hmm. every week, two great bands were coming in. I mean, I saw you 2 with about 50 people early on. Oh, that's skid, so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Madness, the Those jam. Those are the bands, aren't they? Yeah, and yeah. it was just it was um it was one of the happiest years of my life. So so mm-hmm. um so stepping back, I really ultimately have to thank my mother for not throwing this stuff out because um you know <laughs> always vulnerable. So yeah, it's very and. and and, and then over in, and in recent years, what I would do is I'd go to, to record stores going out of business, like Colony Records here in uh-huh. Manhattan, oh, Bleaker yeah, Bob's, and I would, I'd kind of clean them out. Yeah. Um, right. And then, like uh-huh. most collectors today, I'm still buying. And, and a lot of people, you know, right. eBay is a great place to, if, if you have a good eye and you're disciplined, you can get some amazing stuff. But it requires I, I, a lot you of know, exactly. I, 
I collect LPs and 45s big time on the graphics. I go right to eBay and I go to Discogs, you know, uh, yeah. online. And there's an English company also. I get a lot of the English mm-hmm. uh, indie groups with great graphic covers. You know, yeah, I mean, I mean especially with post-punk. I mean, the, in England, it's almost like I, I can't believe these labels made any money. They, they put such care into the record <laughs> sleeves and the, the vinyl. Yeah, absolutely. Mean, those records yeah. are like art pieces in and of themselves, especially Rough Trade mm-hmm. records. They created some of the right. most gorgeous um, and actually, you, you remember this, Spencer, from yesterday when Chip Kidd was talking about um, Blue Monday, the New Order single. Oh, yeah, where, yeah. Where, oh, where my finally, God. Factory Records finally realizes that they were, like, losing 10 or 20 pence on each 12-inch. <laughs> each and it was and it was the biggest – so, Holly, it was oh, the biggest wow. 12-inch uh, single of all time. And it kind of helped kind of send Factory Records to uh, eventual destruction later in the uh, in the 80s, I think, or early 90s. Uh, but that record, oh, you see, like, funny. If, you, if you see the original, if you have a copy of the 12 inch, it's just, it's a work of art. It's beautifully printed, beautifully printed in the vinyl. I mean, you know, they spared no expense. And uh, Peter Matt, And how know, much is it worth today? A lot, probably. Don't, don't, don't know, because it was <laughs> sold in such large quantities, you know? But, yeah. You know, I've got to tell you an interesting story. Storm Ferguson, who I was very close friends with before he passed away, unfortunately, uh, he used to tell me that he'd tell me all these great stories, but one of them was that he would they'd have a box at hypnosis. It was a ten thousand dollar box, a twenty thousand dollar box, and a thirty thousand dollar box, you know, on the budget of an album cover. But he said he said, Spencer, we always, always did more than the money. You know what I mean? There was never we always, mm-hmm. we actually outlaid we always, we actually outlaid money to make sure a cover was done well. See it's what you're talking about, you know? Yeah, a real commitment to excellence the quality. And, a, and a love of the work, definitely. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Absolutely, you have to have that... the passion behind yeah. something. You know, that's important. And I think that this show um, shows the passion of all these beautiful pieces. Um, then also Chris being so passionate about it, and also then Andrews putting it together and everything. I think that. That is important because you don't see very many quality um, exhibits anymore. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, even here in in Sonoma, um, we have a Sonoma Museum of Art, you know, and they bring different exhibits here, you know, and recently they've just started doing some more cutting-edge pop culture things like skateboard art and stuff like that. But we don't have anything that, you know, is like this. So we want you guys to bring something out here on the West yeah. Coast. We need something out here. Listen, Chris, like are you hearing me? What's, what's I, your favorite account up, number, Holly? We'll I wanted to bring up something. I'm sorry, Spencer. Oh, okay. I want to yeah, bring up something that, that was important to, important to the show. Uh, you have a number of punk events that goes along with the show that I attended, and they cover different areas, such as uh, the yeah. photography behind the lens. I saw uh, those the, on the uh, website. And the punk uh, graphics show, which we, we actually reviewed. The uh, the punk uh, crashing into being the Beth Lesh film was really cool, the punk film. And um, also, the I just saw the Chip Kid event and Lenny K playing music. And, of course, you're going to have my mentor, who I designed for Seymour Stein, July 18th, which is uh, tickets are on sale soon. 
That's exactly right. Seymour will be in conversation with Jillian and Legs that evening. Yes. Um, and so that there are uh, there's a whole slate of programs, punk films, and there's a whole uh, raft of public punk programs too, as uh, Spencer's pointing out. But uh, Seymour Stein will be here, and we're super excited about um, That's all, great. The, all those events coming up. Yep. And I know stuff. I saw a lot of the events on the website, Spence, um, which is really yeah. great. And you know, Chris, but, I did have a question for you, and I wanted to ask you real quick. And I and it's a real quick one, Chris. I'm picking up a little bit of an accent. I didn't read your bio completely because I had different. I had very limited access because we've had um, power outages out here. Um, tell me your accent. Where are you from, Chris? I'm from the UK. I thought you were. What part? I grew up in, <laughs> my mom and my whole family is still in the UK. Um, I came here as a uh, about when I was 17, 18 years old, and uh, and ha- uh, wow. And so I and here you are. Yeah, and here I am. Uh, but I spent no in, um, in the witness protection program. <laughs> well, I will be now after this. <laughs> um, but I, I grew up in the what, UK. What part? Uh huh. I grew up in a place called Andover, which is uh, about uh-huh. ten minutes from Stonehenge. Fifteen minutes from Stonehenge. Okay, wow. I know where that is. And, and today, uh, oh wait! To- now that you mentioned that, I wait. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you mentioned Stonehenge. I have to say, happy summer solstice to everyone out there. Okay, today's the first day of summer. We totally like hey. blanked out on that. I I'm usually really big on that, but that's fantastic, Chris. And now you're over here and um, you're seeing everything here that you can do. That's fantastic. How did you get involved in art and working in museums and stuff? Well, I went to art school in the UK at 16. I did my A levels mm-hmm. at Salisbury College of Art. Um, mm-hmm. I was highly, as many British kids are, in uh, they're steeped in popular culture. So, watching Top of the Pops on Thursday night was a big part of my upbringing. And um, oh wow! The um, first album I ever bought uh, was Ziggy Stardust. And the first, <laughs> the first... That's, that's funny. Great. <laughs> and the no, first that's album... great because I think. I think that's fantastic. I'm laughing because I love Ziggy Stardust. That's the best album. It's and the, the best. And the, and the first concert I ever saw, and I bring this up for a reason, was uh, Pink Floyd Animals. Oh, and, wow. And oh, so, my God. That's great. So the, 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 and so the ideas around glam and dress and gender with Bowie mm-hmm. and then essentially with, you know, when you have Pink Floyd uh, there was the first show that in, uh, involved inflatables, and uh-huh. it was it they had was the giant not, pig, right? Yeah. And so for me, it was as a young teenager, it wasn't really about rock music. It was about it was, but it was about theater and about performance. And so those probably those two uh, events, buying the 
Bowie album at a very early age, and seeing Pink Floyd probably charted the rest of my life, although I did not know it at that particular moment. i got to tell you the story. Wow. Chris, you're going to love this story. I, I spoke to uh, Storm Thorgerson about this. He told me the story about the, the pig on the front cover. Right. And he said that originally the group wanted to have a real pig hoisted on a rope. Are you ready for this? And they actually hoisted the rope with a pig, and the rope broke. <laughs> And so, and so then they had to, <laughs> then they had to superimpose the pig. But that's the original story. It's very funny. Well, what was interesting about that particular album cover too is is beyond they actually worked with um, uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name now who did the inflatables when they actually inflated and, and flew it over Battersea Power Station. Right. The pig broke. I free. remember the giant pig. The wow. pig broke free. And right. got in, I got in the, and got into the uh, air, airstream, and actually oh they God. were they were getting calls from Heathrow Airport. <laughs> oh wow! And they they and so they had to redo it. That the is second funny. time they redid it, they had, they had a sniper to shoot it if it if if it. And it ended up story. apparently it, it ended up in a cow field somewhere in Surrey. <laughs> That's funny. So between those two events, I became highly, uh, high, highly interested and involved in interested in popular culture. Uh, but back yeah. then, in, yeah. the 70s, in the late seventies, you couldn't study popular culture like you could today. You lived it. No, lived it. absolutely. So uh, my entry into art is more about music, performance, theater. Uh, yeah. And and having an interest where there are no boundaries between disciplines, so I think that's where that comes from too. I'm not interested. Yeah, in I, it. Do you, I say, um, Chris, I, I see your museum is a very visionary. I call it a visionary museum. You're very different than say MoMA or Whitney, you know, in that respect, or, or even Cooper Hewitt, uh, which I'm I'm members of. But you you tend to have a different uh, out of the box look at shows. Well, uh, let I'm me picturing. It. That, that seems like a nice cue to talk about the future of the institution based on... Yeah, let's history. hear it. Well, because we have, we've hired two new at-large curators. Uh, one mm-hmm. is Andrew Blavel, the gentleman who designed uh, Curate yes. the punk, punk Show. Oh, so he's going to be yes. He's mm-hmm. going to be doing two design shows for us over the next five years. But I also uh, have hired John Underkoffler, who is the who was a science advisor to Steven Spielberg on the film Minority Report. Oh wow! Oh, wow. That's going to be, be doing two so shows in the next five years to look at design and technology. So oh, between oh, yeah. John and Andrew and our curator team here, which um, looks more at craft and art, we're starting to triangulate a conversation around the intersection of design, technology, and craft. Mm, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good. And so yeah, that's great. we're that's going to have so a whole new cool. slate of exhibitions and projects coming up. But um, thank you for pointing that out, Spencer. That's, uh, sure. Anyway. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I, yeah. I saw that immediately. When you did this show and I was looking around, I, I had a vibe. I said, there's something about this museum. <laughs> it's really different. And and it's like uh, it just you, 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 people say, you know, you act out things. Well, you act out in your museum what you do. And um, I, I'm very privileged to be a member, and I'm going to be in the future and proud to be, of course, in the show, be a part of it, and in the future maybe do something with you, hopefully, at some time. 
Well, there's lots of opportunities. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, the museum is doing all kinds of new projects and programs, so everybody should stay tuned um, about the upcoming exhibitions. We're doing a show with Anna Sui, uh, the designer, in mm-hmm. September. Great. And then we're, okay. actually, work, we're actually working with um, on a major project for next March with a, uh, a British uh, stained glass artist. Brian. Oh, wow. And when you say stained glass, well, that's great. Well, he works primarily with Norman Foster and has worked with Norman Foster and Zaha mm-hmm. Hadid. He actually also did many, uh, or did one tour with, uh, designed the tour for Wings, Paul McCartney. Wow. Back mm-hmm. in the day. Uh, he's a very interesting fellow, and we'll be doing a show with him next March. So, yeah, this, and then we're doing a show with uh, Vera Newman, the uh, fabric designer. All kinds of things are happening. Beautiful. Wow. You know, um, you said you went to uh, the school in England. I went to RADA for a very short period of time and studied set design and saw how that worked with uh, everything else. And here I am doing uh, radio <laughs> radio shows. And also, and, and Holly, and, I went to uh, Yale. I went to Yale, thing. and here I am doing radio with you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Uh, we, See, we, we're we all so very well rounded. Yeah, the both but of I, us, I uh, definitely... Chris and Andrew, both of us, Holly and I, I'm sorry, Holly, both of us have a very visionary look at the world. And Holly and I try to expose people that should be exposed to the world that have a visionary, out of the box ideas. I just want to tell you that in all our shows. And also, also bring on musicians and filmmakers also and review events and authors uh, that are saying something. The word is saying something, and it's the same with art. Mm-hmm. As, you, as you are in your museum, are saying something, you know? Well, I think it's important. You know, we... it is. There you go. I'm sorry, Spencer. Go ahead, Chris. No, I'm no, sorry. no. Uh, Chris was uh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say is we think about uh, what a design, arts and design uh, museum does in the 21st century. I think it's important to push the boundaries and right. Um, That's it. And there's a museums of the 21st century. I think need to be very different in order to attract new audiences and address a new generation of, of absolutely. Uh, of audience, so that's in part the reason Andrew mm-hmm. and John Undercoffler and Andrew Blavelt are important as a part of the rethinking of the program as we move forward. And the other thing is also i got to bring up, it's very important, I'm a member of AIGA, they have my work in a collection with my partner Judith and videoed us and they're very big, you know, designers, they're key to you, AIGA, uh, last night I went to an AIGA event in fact, they're, 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 you're a key to other design organizations, right? Well, I would like to be a, a hub for all kinds of uh, ideas around design. Design is a field that's exploding these days because it's not just about graphics or product design. There's no with digital technology, there's great yeah. importance in interactive and experience and artificial intelligence and virtual and augmented reality, mm-hmm. which are all design fields that are uh, changing the way we we see the world. So. Um, I like to think of the design world as fairly expansive and open. You know, that brings up a very good point. I wanna I wanted to say two things. One is I like the fact of the other person the person that worked with Spielberg that you're bringing on. That's gonna really I, I'm excited to see what you do with that because right. I know that that you mentioned AI and uh 
um, AI is really um, booming right now. I don't know if anybody knows this, but there's um, a whole uh, series of shows that Robert Downey Jr. is doing just on AI alone, um, which is going to be, which is in the works that's coming out. So AI is really something that is going forward. But I wanted to ask Andrew and yourself both, what would you like people once they see this exhibit to come away with? What kind of feeling? What what is it that you would like to see people feeling about this whole exhibit when they come away with it? Okay, Holly, this is Andrew. I mean, I would say, for me, I really want young people to see all of this great work. Absolutely. See what's possible yeah. with your hands as opposed to, you know, digital tools. And um, and actually, yeah, because I really think it's great art. And, and, you know, we know the very iconic images, which are excellent, are superb, like the God Save the Queen poster and the Unknown Pleasures Joy Division design. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what I want people to come away with is, is just the, the, the range um, and depth of, of what was accomplished in that period, really from the the mid 70s to the early 80s, which I, I consider to be one of the greatest bursts of creativity in, in 20th century graphic design. So I want it to be elevated and, and people to become aware of it, and I really want young people to be inspired by it. Um, and 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 I've seen I, I was actually he, I come in periodically to show the the exhibition, and you know you just see these young kids and they they really light up when they see these posters. They really become right. very very mm-hmm. entranced by them and. Um, yeah, and so I just want to get the. I want more and more. I'm a real proselytizer. I, I would love this show to tour, uh, maybe come to California. I've agreed to lend my materials mm-hmm. to the end of 2021 in support of this uh, of the exhibition. So, uh, mm-hmm. but you really have to see it. it. It's kind of it's very different when you see it in, 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 in up front. You see it directly. You have the tactile experience, mm-hmm. which you just can't do on a computer screen. You know, Andrew, mm-hmm. I can see this show. I think Holly agrees. We can see the show in Europe, like Germany, and uh, you know what I'm saying. Uh, I know it definitely. It's very. I see it in Japan because the punk movement right. is so huge exactly. over there, and also in Germany, exactly. and you know. even parts of um, you know the Middle East that just there's different people really are looking. They love American culture, and right. they right. will embrace it in any way they can get it. You know, well, I, so I yeah, think that I really, that was I what really Chris so. is doing. Yeah, I think, Chris, you've got a really great um, eye for, you know, bringing this to the museum and the fact that um, you're going to be bringing some other really cool cultured events. I mean, the stained glass exhibit sounds really fantastic to me. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Andrew, I, I've got. To, I cannot thank Chris enough for taking the show. Literally w- within a year after it opened last summer, it, it never would uh-huh. have come here without Chris. Um, and I also just want to tell you about oh, one I other bet. very cool thing that happened when it opened at oh, Cranbrook. Oh, yeah, hear it. Shepard Ferry yeah. is a huge fan of punk, and it really has inspired oh, yeah. his work. And I think when he heard about right. the exhibition coming to Cranbrook, I think he reached out to Andrew Glavelt, and Shepard created a companion exhibition which was only shown out at Cranbrook. Um, so the galleries mm-hmm. at Cranbrook are enormous, and uh, my show had three galleries, and then there was another uh, gallery uh, dedicated to Shepard's work. And it was really about his creative mm-hmm. process. And so he brought a lot of the tools that he used when he was a kid, and, and I got to meet his wife, and, and they were just wonderful people. 
And also, oh, for the great. opening night, Shepard was the DJ of the uh, opening at Cranbrook, and he was amazing. He's <laughs> like repeated. He's passionate about she- Oh, by the way, Shepard Shepherd was are. profiled in one of my album, rock poster books, and he still has it. He loves the book. And he, I had him in my book before anybody was really knowing about him, but I saw the vision of him, and uh-huh. he's incredible. I mean, he just did the... Uh, he's uh, such a nice guy, you know, too. Blondie. He did the Blondie uh, uh, pollinator. He did uh, the pollinator. The pollinator graphics. Yeah, it's amazing. The whole show and everything, amazing graphics. Yeah. But, Andrew, what were you saying? I'm saying you said he was spinning the vinyl that night and about the show. You get to meet his family. And what were you saying? I'm sorry. Oh, oh, look, the, the, he's, you he's, he's as passionate about, uh, you know, punk graphic design and punk music as, as either Chris or I, which is, and we are fanatics. So, uh, and the other thing, he said something very nice. He basically said when he was working on the show that week, because he spent four or five days installing it, you know, he would just go over to the other rooms and just take a look at the other posters. And, and he tried to, he said to me, I'm going to try to include in my set, like a song for every like major poster that you put up. Um, and he oh was, wow! And he was like there for hours. That's I mean, cool. I, when, when I left several hours later, he was still spinning records. So, you know, he he he, he he's really he's the real deal, definitely. He is. He is. Definitely. That'd be four hundred songs for you, Chris, at your at your museum. Four hundred songs for that would be a lot. That, that would be a lot of music, which is fine with me. That would be fantastic music. Fine with me, but, yeah. Fantastic music, music that we want to hear. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, I I really want to thank both of you for being here, and I also want to thank Wendy. And then Spencer, um, you know, was really excited about the show because he he has you know his one piece in there with the Ramones, and then also, um, you know, Spencer was is very passionate about punk rock and the whole um, thing because he writes with Punk Globe magazine. I wanted to let you know that, and uh, I wanted to say that Spencer, um, you know. Um, thank you so much for, um, you know, telling me about in more detail and getting this organized and then also Wendy and it's such oh, a great pleasure to have pleasure. you, Chris, and also you too, Andrew. And we want to thank, um, Andrew, <clears throat> the, de- you know, the person that set this up, you know, the designer, um, I forgot Andrew's last name. How do you, how do you say Blavel. his last name? Again? Andrew Andrew yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I want to thank him because, I mean, without that, I mean, you know, you painted a picture here for so many different people. And for all the people that are involved in well, this actually, exhibit, Holly, I mean. Holly, no, 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 go ahead. I just want to make another yeah. pitch for Andrew because I really think he's brilliant. A few years ago, he did mm-hmm. an exhibition called Hippie Modernism, which was actually at Vampa. Um, I think it was originated mm-hmm. at the Walker Art Center, and it, but it was it was at uh, out, you know out in San Francisco, and um, there was an interview. I'm that really happened. looking forward to that. Well, no, yeah. so it, 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 it was already occurred, unfortunately, but uh, but no, but I'm looking happened. forward to seeing more of his work. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Check yeah. Him yeah. Out. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Um, but one of the things he, he was interviewed last year about the, about Too Fast to Live, and he said kind of. In a way, it sort of bookends for him. Hippie modernism was really cover, covering the youth subculture of the '60s and and kind of the mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the utopianism of the period. And then you know to him, this was the logical next show for him because it's covering like the you know the most exciting and dynamic 
you know, youth subculture phenomenon of the 70s. Mm-hmm. That's, wow. that's a really good statement. Um, so now, what are the hours of the exhibit so we can give that out? It's uh, Wendy again. Hi, everyone. 10 to 6, Monday through Friday, and we are open late on Saturday, uh, sorry, Thursdays till 9, and then Saturdays to Sundays, 10 to 6. Tuesday. And if they would like to get tickets, they could get tickets online? Get tickets online and um, come directly to the museum, too. Madmuseum.org. Okay. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, no, and no, no, no. <laughs> You're so cute. Thank you. No, thank you for being here. Are you kidding? This is so cool. And <laughs> what I wanted to say also was what's great, guys, if you go to the website, you can see all the different things that are going on there. And um, I, I looked at it last night even in depth, more in depth, and it's really, really great. And what I loved about it was how you have the up-and-coming events that are associated with this and how you can know exactly what's happening on what day. So um, I wanted to ask Andrew and Chris, are you both there during the exhibits or are you just um, kind of in and out a little bit? Well, I work here, so I'm here most of the week, <laughs> um, oftentimes uh-huh. in meetings. But, um, yeah, there are tours, there are docent tours that you can arrange if people would like a docent tour. Otherwise, I would just come. Oh, and that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, I would just, yeah, yeah, I would just come and look at the show and follow, as I like to say, follow the thread, and because there are stories behind every single poster. Mm-hmm. If you follow right. the thread, the mm-hmm. stories about the cultural meanings, the politics, uh, the design, that there's wonderful, wonderful things if you just scratch a little bit. Well, what about you, Andrew? Oh, I just, yeah. I mean, I come in. When friends or fam- and family come in, I, I I come by and give them my, my own little guided tour, and and I am you know you're so cute looking That's at other to to maybe come to take the show. So I've met with some other curators and brought them over too. I, I could just hear you study. saying, "Oh, do you remember being with me when I got this poster in in the, in in the in the rain at when we were having coffee and you know, like." Oh, my gosh. I bet there's so many stories, like Chris had said, behind every single poster there's a thread and there's a there's a story right. behind it. And I, I think the European influence is brought in. Go ahead, Spencer. I'm sorry. What oh, were you no, needing no, to just, say? Go finish ahead. Finish your thought. Finish Go your ahead. thought, dear. Uh, I just want to say, oh, no, Andrew, no. Between, you, between you and myself, I'm bringing back Letraset, okay? Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's and <great>. charcoal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now I have to go to the witness protection program. <laughs> the yeah. witness protection program. Changing his, his, changing his name to Donald. <laughs> Donald Doe. <laughs> Actually. Oh, that I'll, is so funny. If you That's do go funny. to Wikipedia, and even if you just type in "Rock Against Racism," that whole story that I recounted is right there. So. I, no, wow. Great. I'm gonna. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. No, I, no, no, no. I know you're not. I, I, I had heard some, you know, little talk about it, but I wasn't really sure. So I'm now going to read this, and now I'm going to be making some phone calls and uh, giving people a hard time about not telling me about it. Is everybody knows that I'm very much an advocate of free living in the world. I mean, it's like um, we, we know that. You're funny, Spencer. 
So, you know, with that, I want to end our show today by telling everyone, please do not drink and drive. It's the weekend. And, um, Spencer, you had something really quick you want to say before we end the show. What was that? No, I, I just I, I wanted to just say that the show is a very big inspiration to me in my in my uh, music life, and uh, you know, and I also wanted to mention that the Ramones poster is also in the MoMA permanent collection, which is another added mm-hmm. thing about poster. That's so cool. But I wanted to I wanted to thank you, people. Uh, it means a lot to me to be in the show. It's a big moment. It really is a big moment in my life in that respect, and uh, I wish you uh, both the best in the future of what you're doing, and we're glad you were on the show. Thank and, you. Uh, that's what I have to say. You know. Thank you very much, that was Spencer. Great yeah. I know you had to. You had something you needed to review really quick, Spencer. What was that? Well, that was it. Actually, the Remember? punk event. It was the punk event. Oh, okay. Which I talked about, but that's okay. No, thank you, dear. No, no, everything was covered. No, I just wasn't thank sure you. if there was something that you needed yeah, no, more no. that you needed to say. Now, sure. you know, I wanted to ask Andrew and Chris and Wendy both, um, is there anything more that you'd like to add to this interview before we end? I would just encourage... Uh, Silence. <laughs> no, I would, no I, I, I would encourage visitors to come to the museum, uh, you know, tour all the exhibitions that are here. Um, but I, I would say spend time, think about what you're looking at, um, and then... You know, like I say, if you, when you scratch the surface of any particular project or exhibition, it doesn't have to be the punk show. There's always wonderful, there's wonderful history, and um, mm-hmm. I think, and if you just enjoy that history and look at the future, I think that's a part of the coming to the museum. It is, it is. And you the know, um, and also Holly, I got to bring absolutely. up this. Absolutely, it's on Columbus Circle, right, Chris? The yeah, to Columbus yeah, Circle. Up. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. easy one. You know, I was just thinking something really funny. I know you guys are going to laugh, but uh, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But, you know, Night at the Museum, could you imagine if all these posters came to life and all the different characters that were roaming around the museum? <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That is great. I'll be, I'll be I love agent, that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's good. Oh, my That's gosh. Cool. That was like the best movie and you know especially oh the best and chris especially with the people that you're bringing on to um you know help with future exhibits i'm really excited to see what happens and you know i just can't wait for some of the newest movies that are coming out that i know um people are working on and that are going to influence i believe our culture and our way of life and uh with that being said, um, everyone needs to go see Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, the Museum of Arts and Design in New York City, soon to be traveling across, we hope, the United States. And um, in the meantime, it's in New York on Columbus. And uh, if you want to get tickets or want to see a little bit about it or know a little bit more, please go online and take it and check it out. And, uh, Spencer, thank you so much for uh, being here today. And both you, also Chris and Andrew and Wendy, thank you for being here as well. Thanks, though. And, uh, thank you, yeah, no. And we're going to end the show. Hold on a second. I'm looking here with a cool song. I think this is your choice, Andrew. No, um, it's Chris. Is our love triangle? 
Chris, this is our love triangle. How's that for your witness protection? Which is also on the show. (laughs) I think it's a nice connection from music back to art because Robert Longo did the uh, did the video for this, so I think it's a great song. Anyway, wow. Oh, that's great. Okay, well, with that, guys, happy summer and uh, enjoy your night. Happy solstice, Holly. Yeah. I know. Thank you. I'm. I, I like. This is the first year I totally blew it. I didn't remember that it was today because there's just too much going on. But with that, guys, here you guys go, and we will be back next week. And uh, thank you for tuning in. And again, check us out on iTunes and also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio with special edition under the Ink Cafe with Spencer Drake. Okay, guys, have a good night. Good See night. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.